good morning. Great to be with you all. My name is Hudson, one of our pastors here. For all of you here in the room and those of you watching online, we're continuing this morning in our series, Jesus in His Own Words, will be in Matthew chapter 12. Now, it didn't take Instagram long to realize my wife and I had a baby. It was actually just overnight that my Instagram feed and my reels and my advertisements went from college football and tomahawk steaks to breastfeeding tips and gassy baby tips. Now, you know, I'm learning things, and no one told me this beforehand, but fellas, um, your wife does not want to get breastfeeding tips from you. <laughs> Realize that went the hard way. And I had actually some people after your service tell me that, like, they learned that in their marriage, too. So I wasn't the only one. Someone out there is going to benefit from that wisdom. But it is interesting how Instagram continues to read my mind because our son Judah is now about two and a half months old, and my reels and ads have changed again. Now it's about adult things, specifically how adults can sleep better. (laughs) Tips, tricks, and products. Somehow Instagram knows that I'm willing to buy anything at this point to get a little bit of sleep. And I've seen it all, all the different ads and products they have out there. One that's interesting, it's called hostage tape. Apparently you shouldn't breathe through your mouth when you sleep, so you put this tape over your mouth, then you breathe through your nose, but it's called hostage tape, and I'm afraid that I would die in my sleep if I used it, so not about that one. Other people are selling red lights. Apparently as the sun goes down, you should dim the lights in your house and use red lights to help you sleep. There are nutritionists out there that tell you what foods you can and can't eat so long before bed. There are apps for your smartwatches that track your REM cycles and tell you how to optimize your sleep. And then the crowd favorite, the Darth Vader mask, the CPAP machine, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I went to men's retreat a couple years ago and found out what those were, that's amazing. All these different products, and you realize these companies are killing it. They are crushing it from a business perspective. It turns out that people care a lot about their sleep, rightfully so. As you get quality sleep, you gain quality of life. However, I don't think that it's physical rest that we actually need. Because many of us, even in church this morning, Sunday, day off of work, with our families, two, three cups of coffee deep, we're still sitting here tired. We're worn out, we're exhausted, we see no end in sight. It doesn't take much looking beneath the surface of our society. We have a society plagued by restlessness, And sleep is merely a symptom of the disease that we have. And it is not a physical disease. It is a disease that encompasses our entire being that gets after our body, yes, but our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. And I know that this is true because it's been true since the very foundations of the world. It's actually on this premise that we get one of Jesus' most scandalous statements that he makes in the scriptures that we're gonna look at today in Matthew chapter 12, all around this idea of the Sabbath. So as we get started, I wanna give you a big idea. The main point of the message today is this. Jesus' authority provides rest for our whole being. Jesus' authority provides rest for our whole being. Matthew chapter 12, verse one, it says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. If you're familiar with the Gospels at all, the narratives of Jesus' life, anytime you see now on the Sabbath, you can pretty much just guarantee it's going to be a confrontation of Jesus and the Pharisees going head to head. And on this episode of Jesus versus the Pharisees, it's all surrounding the Sabbath law, what is permissible and what is not. 
So we got to give a little historical context, a little biblical context for what was the Sabbath. And the reality is God really cares about the Sabbath. In fact, we see the Sabbath come about after his own creational order. Looking back to Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. We've got to talk about what is God's rest? Because it wasn't that he was tired after creating. It wasn't that he needed a nap after creating. This idea of God's rest was God, after creating the world on the seventh day, stepped back, and it was the rest of completion. It was the rest of him being satisfied in the work that he had done. And what's really interesting is man was not made on day one. No, we came in at the very end. Like that person when you're moving that shows up after everything's been moved just to grab pizza. That's where we showed up. We showed up, the work was done, and we entered in with rest, all contingent upon God's work that he already did. We see in six different passages through the book of Exodus, the Sabbath coming up, and through each one we learn something different about what God intended for it. The first time it pops up is in Exodus 16, where God would provide manna for his people as they wandered through the wilderness. Manna was this bread-like substance. What was interesting about this was God gave it to them every day, and he told them, I'm gonna give it to you, but don't take enough for two days. Just take enough manna for one day, and then the next day I'll provide it again and again and again, and you'll be taken care of. You don't need to stuff your pockets like Napoleon Dynamite with the tater tots. You don't need to do that. What was really interesting is on the sixth day, so they could rest on this Sabbath, God would actually give them manna for two days. And I love the details. The Bible gives us some really awesome details, and this is one of the ones I love. It says that on the next day when the Sabbath was a day, or when the manna was a day old, it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. I like my bread without worms and not stinking. What we just see is God was a good provider. He took care of his people. The Sabbath maybe most famously is known for being one of the 10 commandments. It falls in place at number four. It's actually the longest entry we get. A lot of the commandments are just real short sentences. We get quite a few lines talking about the Sabbath. And here's what we begin to realize about the Sabbath and the 10 commandments. It provides rest including rest for children, servants, livestock, sojourners. And in many ways, this rest was an act of mercy from God. We also see that it was set apart, not just for the Israelites to take a day back and kick their feet up and relax. It was a day for them to remember who God was, what he had did, and to worship him. It's a really important aspect. Now in Exodus 31, 14, we get the law that leads to the Pharisees coming after Jesus. In verse 14, it says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So God cares about the Sabbath, some consequences for not taking it. We have to realize God did not just give this as a rule to be mean, to be cruel, but he gave this for the people to remember what he had done, to worship them, and it all came because of God's mercy and God's grace. My first point for this morning is the heart behind the Sabbath, which is rest, mercy, and worship. The heart behind the Sabbath is rest, mercy, and worship. And really, it's because of that mercy that we get to rest. But if you fast forward to Jesus' day, the Sabbath had been completely lost in the rabbinic tradition. I found one commentator talking about this tradition, and here's what it says. It's kind of comical. Anything that might be contrived as work was forbidden. Thus on a Sabbath, scribes cannot carry their pens, tailors their needles, or students their books. To do so might tempt them to work on the Sabbath. For that matter, carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden. 
No insects could be killed. No candle or flame could be lit or extinguished. Nothing could be bought or sold. And here's where it kind of gets funny. No bathing was allowed because some water might spill over the tub onto the floor and accidentally wash it. Sick people, you don't wanna get sick on the Sabbath. Sick people were only allowed enough treatment to keep them alive. Any medical treatment that improved their condition was considered work and therefore prohibited. And ladies, they come after you guys. You couldn't even look in a mirror because you might be tempted to pull out a gray hair and that would be considered work. Now it is funny, it's funny, it's kind of comical. But it's also really sad because this got so wild that fast forward to the Roman and Jewish war, Israel's enemies knew that they considered the Sabbath to be holy and they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. They wouldn't do all these other things. So their enemies would attack them on the Sabbath because many Israelite people rather die than defend themselves and work on the Sabbath. A day designed to bring rest and worship to God now brought more work anxiety, and distress on the Israelite people, especially those who were poor and needy. The tragedy for the religious rulers, for the Pharisees in this, is they completely missed the heart of God for the law of God. They missed the heart of God for the law of God. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting after throughout the book of Matthew, and especially in this passage so we continue to read as Jesus confronts the Pharisees in verse three. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus begins to use the Pharisees' own history against them. He begins to talk about the bread of the presence. Now this was a law that was given to the priests and every week on the Sabbath, the priests would make 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 loaves or the 12 tribes of Israel. And he'd take those loaves and he'd put them in the tabernacle. And then it was permitted for the priests to be able to eat the bread that was a week old, but it was only permitted for the priests to eat. Well, fast forward to 1 Samuel 21, and David's on the run from King Saul. Saul wanted to kill him, and David and his men are running, and they come across a priest named Ahimelech. It's in a place called Nob. And Ahimelech had no food for them. They were hungry. They were asking for food. He's like, I have no food, but I do have the leftover bread. And so he gives it to David and David's men. Now, they broke the law. However, God does not condemn David, his men, or the priest, why? Because it wasn't about following the law, it was about having mercy on human beings who were in need. It actually got to the heart. Jesus uses another similar example to make his point in verse five. Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So we just read, if you profane the Sabbath, put to death, yet the priests are profaning the Sabbath and it's permissible, why? Well, this is interesting because while the rest of Israel would rest on the Sabbath, this is actually the busiest day for the priests. This was like their Super Bowl Sunday. They had to get after, they had all these things they had to do every single week. And while they were doing all these things, they were definitely working on the Sabbath, breaking God's law, profaning the Sabbath. Why did it not matter? Because God told them to do it. Here's what we realize in this. God gets to do what he wants with the Sabbath because it is his to do with what he pleases. And the Pharisees are starting to catch on. They're like, what, what is Jesus trying to say with this? And the point begins to be true. There's a point of authority that Jesus is making. And he continues to build off this point of authority by dropping this. I tell you, 
You've got to catch this. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. Now, I feel like we're not having the same reaction to this that the Pharisees would have had to this because this is deeply personal to the Pharisees. They are offended. They are not happy with Jesus making this statement. And it makes sense we don't react the same way because the temple for us, unless maybe you are ethnically Jewish, means nothing. But for the Israelite people, for the Hebrew people, this was the place on earth where the presence of God dwelled with his people. Israelites oftentimes would travel hundreds of miles to come and celebrate the festivals at the temple. This was a big deal. But notice I used a past tense. God's presence used to dwell in the temple because around 600 BC, the presence of God, the glory of God left the temple. There's this incredible scene in the book of Ezekiel where the prophet saw this vision of the temple and the glory of God left and went away. There's this other scene that happens in the book of Ezra. In Ezra, there were exiled Jews who were in Babylon and then in Persia, and they were able to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And they have this amazing worship service. They laid the foundation. They're getting ready to offer sacrifices. They're worshiping, Hillsong's playing, and all the young people are like in the front row with their hands up. And then all the old men start to cry because they realized this, this wasn't what it looked like before. The presence of God did not come back to the temple. I actually find it interesting. My favorite detail of the Palm Sunday story is the presence of God did come back to the temple, just not in the way they expected. Because at the end of the Palm Sunday story, Jesus comes in on Monday morning. People are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he comes to the temple and it says that he enters the temple and he looks around. And then it says, it was late in the day and he went home. They had been waiting hundreds of years for the presence of God to come back into the temple and the presence of God incarnate in Jesus walked into the temple and not a single person noticed, a super anticlimactic ending. The good news for us though, is that yes, Jesus being the very presence of God was amazing. Let us know what God was like. But Jesus had an even better plan in place. We see Jesus ascended back into heaven. He said, hey, something better is coming. And he sends us his Holy Spirit. So now as Christians who believe in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We have God inside of us, hanging out with us all the time. This was way better than having to travel to a physical place to worship God. His plan was so much better. And that is for sure what Jesus is talking about here. But he's actually pressing in a little bit more. Because notice, it doesn't say that someone greater than the temple has come. It says something greater and this isn't all that profound. There wasn't some big thing happening here. Just Jesus was really trying to hone in on what it was that was greater than the temple here. Because he was a quality of his personhood, a quality, an attribute of who he was. And it was his authority that was greater than the temple. This is my next point, point number two. Jesus has greater authority than the temple. And by saying that, I really mean Jesus has greater authority than the entire world. Old Testament religious system that the Pharisees had built their life around. Now, Jesus begins to sum up what he's trying to get at in verse seven. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. This is Jesus' second time in Matthew quoting Hosea 6.6. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get at the point behind what he's saying is that it is all about God's heart behind the Sabbath. This idea that mercy trumps sacrifice. The heart of God behind the Sabbath was not to give a list of rules for the sake of rules. The Sabbath command was actually an act of mercy. 
Exodus 23, 12, and those other passages, the oxen could rest, the slaves could rest, the foreigners could rest, and on and on. This act of rest was mercy from God pointing towards a creator who takes care of his creation. The heart of God is a heart of mercy. Now Jesus continues to press in and as the discourse comes to a close, he delivers a knockout punch by making this statement and the Pharisees now get exactly what he's trying to say in verse eight. For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of man was Jesus' favorite way to reference himself. So there's no more guessing. Jesus saying, I am the greater authority. I am greater than the Sabbath. I do what I want on the Sabbath because I am God who created the Sabbath. Superiority over the law. Now, right after this passage, Jesus goes on to heal a man on the Sabbath. And these two stories are put together as a literary unit. And at the end of this unit, we get the Pharisees' response. And you gotta love it. After this going back and forth, the Pharisees, they leave where Jesus just healed this man on the Sabbath. And they had this other run in. Jesus is flipping the script on them. They walk in, they're like, what are we we gonna do about this Jesus guy? We're gonna kill him. We're gonna kill him. Feels a little extra, feels a little extreme. He makes a claim about being Lord of the Sabbath. Their response is to kill him. And that's because they understood what he was saying. By saying he was Lord of the Sabbath, he was saying, I am equal with God, not just equal with God, I am God. And for them, this would have been blasphemous. It would have taken things too far. They're willing to kill Jesus over it. Now, Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath means he has the right to do with the Sabbath whatever he wants much more so than David would have had the right to break the tabernacle laws, much more so than priests would have the right to break the Sabbath laws. But Jesus isn't just rewriting the Sabbath to send the Pharisees into a frenzy. Though in my flesh, it's kind of funny when Jesus does it with the Pharisees and they get all mixed up and they're confused and they're leaving and they're angry. But Jesus isn't doing it for that reason. He's doing it to actually bring about the heart of God and what God always intended for the Sabbath. Back to point one, this being rest, mercy, and worship. Now, more importantly for us today, Jesus isn't going backwards to do this, but instead he accomplishes this by moving forward. Jesus was right, something greater than the temple had come, and he was standing right in front of them. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, he came to provide a better temple, a better sacrifice, and a better Sabbath rest for his people. In fact, the rest that Jesus came to bring was what the Sabbath was always pointing towards to begin with. Colossians 2, 16 through 17, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The author of Hebrews picks this up in chapter three and four, and he's doing a few things in these chapters, but really what he's saying is, Hey, the promised land, this rest that God had promised for his people was always pointing forward to a greater rest that was still to come. Jesus did not come to revert us back to a more original Sabbath, but he came to bring a new Sabbath reality that all started on that Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was found empty. And the good news is that because of Jesus, we don't wait six days for one day of rest, but rather my third point is this, as Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, We have access to Sabbath rest all day, every day. 
Now, some people, and I'm poking some fun at some of my friends who I've had some conversations with, they take their Sabbath day really serious. They're like, every Saturday, I take the whole day off and I smoke a brisket for 12 hours, like greatest day ever. And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm glad you do that. I hope you're remembering to worship God in that, but you should take a day. Many of us should probably take a Sabbath day. That's great. But I don't think we need another day off. I actually don't think we just need another vacation. And I don't think we just need more sleep. Though tomorrow morning, if you wanna go on vacation, I'm down for that. Sounds amazing. It does. What we actually need, though, is to be obedient to step into the Sabbath rest that Jesus has already provided for us. So what does that look like? We could describe it in a number of ways, but I love the imagery of the promised land, so we're gonna run with that for the rest of our time. See, before the promised land, the Hebrew people were wanderers and sojourners and slaves. They had no rest, no freedom, and no real identity. Yet God gave them the promised land to allow them to put down roots and establish a way of life, becoming his people and being given an identity and security. We gotta talk about what this was contingent upon real quick though. See, this rest, this promising was not contingent upon them obeying God perfectly. Definitely didn't do that. It wasn't based on their ability to work and provide for themselves. God had to give them food to keep them going. And it definitely wasn't contingent on their military strategy. They didn't just come in and take over all these different Canaanite territories because they had this awesome military. In fact, their military strategy when they went in, there was this place called Jericho. It was the first place they took over. And their strategy was, let's walk circles around the walls a bunch of times. And then after a while, we're gonna break some clay pots and blow some trumpets. And it worked. Why? Because they had faith that God was the one getting them there. And it's true for us with this as well. So I'd argue the reason so many of us are tired today is that we too are wanderers and sojourners and slaves. We're wanderers. We just live life for what's in front of us. Day by day, circumstance by circumstance, seeking a thrill here or there, waiting for promotion to come, waiting for the next vacation or time off. There's no real direction and if we're being honest, there's no real destination. We're just moving along. We're sojourners. On the one hand, we weren't made for this world. We know that for a time being, there are powers of darkness that have dominion over this world. We know that our hope and our future and our promise is still to come in an inheritance in the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, for sure. But we're also sojourners because we lack identity. I actually think in many ways, if we were to boil down the sin in our life, the discontentment in our life, just that feeling that we haven't arrived yet it comes down to we're not stepping into the identity that Christ has given us, but we're searching for it everywhere, trying to grab it from anything that we can get. Our careers, our status, our sexual identity, we're gonna have a whole summit on that. Our family, relationships, hobbies, even look at myself, sports teams, go Lopes and Notre Dame football but we so easily tie our identity to anything we can because we're sojourners and we lack this identity. Lastly, we're slaves. We're slaves to sin. Unfortunately, if you guys have been alive for any amount of time and following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that the shackles that come with sin are real. And for some of you, there is habitual sin in your life and until that is figured out, you are never going to experience God's Sabbath rest. We are wanderers, sojourners, and slaves. 
But just like Israel, we were given a deliverer. We were provided a redeemer. We were given someone to come and save us. And that all happened through the person and work of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been given meaning and purpose. You have been adopted into a family, a family with God as the father. You've been given an identity, placed into a kingdom to call your home. We've been not just given forgiveness of sins, we've actually been given the power to conquer sin. This is all because of Jesus. Big idea, Jesus' authority provides rest for our whole being. Might not seem like it, but our application for this morning is wrapped up in that statement. In Exodus 31, 12 through 13, a couple verses before where I read earlier, it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And it always gets real when we start talking about sanctification, but that's the point here. The reason I brought up Hebrews three and four earlier was to be able to say this now, the reason the people of God did not enter his rest promised for them was because of disobedience. So what's the solution to us needing this rest? Obedience. So let me say it like this. Who's in control of your life? Who's in control of your life? To stay on theme with today, who has the authority in your life? Now, we don't like authority at all. Standing up here, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown man, I'm an adult. I don't need authority in my life. I'm speaking to myself, like I hate this topic. It's funny, I was talking to a friend this week and I was just asking, what are your favorite stages with your kids as they grew up? He said, well, my least favorite was when they learned how to say no. He said, they don't even know how to use it yet. They'll either say it when it doesn't matter or just when it's really dangerous. And so you can't let them say it when it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter, but you still can't let them just say no to everything. But then it's really dangerous. Hey, buddy, don't put your hand on the stove. No, hand on the stove, burns his hand. Hey, don't run out into traffic. No, head first into traffic. What's sad though is for many of us, we haven't matured past infancy we have not matured past our toddler phase because all the time God is telling us to do things, giving us commands, and we go, no, I'm the authority of my life. And it's this desire to hold on to control and authority that keeps us from entering this Sabbath rest. So let's bring it home. As long as it's up to us to build our careers, as long as it's up to us to make sure our kids turn out right, as long as it's up to us to provide for ourselves and for our families, as long as it's up to us to bring about meaning in our life, as long as it's up to us to find forms of identity, as long as it's up to us to conquer our own sin, we will not experience God's Sabbath rest. Now I hear the critics in the room. This doesn't mean that you get to relinquish all responsibility. There is still responsibility in all of these things, but we need to realize is the only reason we have any of these things is because of God's grace and mercy that he even gave them to us. They were never ours to begin with. And the reality of this message is that for us to reject Sabbath rest is actually for us to sin. Because what we're saying and trying to have control is that we're God. When I want to have control of my life, I'm saying Hudson's God. That I get to decide what I have control over. 
that I make things happen, that I have the authority. And what we forget is that God is the one that has always been holding not just our lives together, but the very fabric of the universe together. As we even sit here in church on a Sunday, he's taking care of so many things that we don't even know about. And so for many of us, where we start this morning is confessing, acknowledging our sin. God, I've been holding on to control. God, even as I hear this, I don't wanna give you authority. Like, I wanna have authority. And so we start by confessing our sin in this way. But here's the good news, and here's where God's goodness begins to shine through, is when you confess, you are forgiven. Why? Not because of our own work, but because when Jesus took our sin upon him, died the death that we deserve, he said, it is finished. Debt paid in full because of nothing that we did, but all because of the work that he did for us. So when we confess today, there is forgiveness right here and right now. And that is the good news of the gospel that we believe in. And it applies to the Sabbath as well. We do not rest to earn God's mercy, but we get to rest because God's already given us his mercy. There is freedom in this. So what do we do? What do we do with this? For all of us, we need to find a Sabbath rhythm in our life. Rhythms are good because it's a constant reminder. So for some of, you, some of you, that's a day every week that you're gonna take off work, that you're going to spend time with your family remembering and worshiping God and his mercy in our life. For others of you, maybe that's 10, 15 minutes in the morning. Maybe that's at night with your spouse. Maybe that's when you pray for dinner. Just the simple acknowledgement that the only reason I even have food right now is because God has provided for us. So find a Sabbath rhythm. Now for those of you that are like, hey, let's go the next step. Let's really get after this. Here's what I'd imagine. The reason that you're tired this morning, and I say this because I've been experiencing this, the reason you're tired this morning is because you're really good at saying, God, I give you this whole aspect of my life. All of this, you're in control, you have authority, that's great, but over here there's like one or two things that we're like, but I'm controlling these. These are the few things that you don't get to have control over. You don't get to tell me what to do with these things. Like These are my things. And if we're honest, we have one or two things like that. So my challenge for you this morning, if you really wanna press in, is let's give those things to God. Let's finally surrender those things. Say, God, I don't even wanna give you these things. I don't wanna acknowledge these things or maybe even here, but you're in control of them. You have authority and I'm gonna rest knowing that you already have this thing figured out. So what is that one or two things in your life that you're gonna finally surrender control over to God this morning? Understanding that it's Jesus' authority that provides rest for our entire being. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that this is not contingent on our own ability or our own merit or anything that we deserve. Because if rest was up to us earning it, God, we would continue to be burnt out, tired, depleted. And that we don't have to wait six days to enter your rest, but a much better rest has come through the work that you have done, through who you are. Jesus, that we can rest today knowing that your mercy is sufficient for anything going on in our lives. God, I pray for those people who are really struggling with giving up control right now, that your spirit would meet them this morning, that you remind them of your yoke being easy, God, that you remind them that you are in control, that you've already seen it, it's already done, and that you love them more than they could ever know. So we can trust you in that. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.